always had some orientation to the future. We pray, thy kingdom come. We confess in the creed that Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead. But exposition of the Christian faith has almost always begun not with the future, but with the past, with God's creation of the world in the beginning. And in fact, that seems so obvious that until recently, it hasn't seemed to require any discussion at all. Where else would you start except at the beginning? A little thought, though, shows that beginning with the beginning is not quite so obvious. The petition in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, means that the kingdom will, in fact, come to us. And if that kingdom lies in the future, then it must come from the future. It does not simply develop out of the past. It is not simply waiting passively for us up in the future. Is it possible, though, for the future to have a real causal influence on us and on our world today? An answer, at least if we're going to take theology seriously, begins with Easter. In the time of Jesus, Pharisaic Judaism looked for a general resurrection of the dead at the end of history. No one, as far as we know, expected the resurrection, I'm not just talking about resuscitation, but expected the resurrection of a single individual at some point in history before the end. And so Pannenberg argued, since the resurrection is an eschatological event, then, as he said, if Jesus has been raised, then the end of the world has begun. God's final future, in other words, has broken into the middle of world history. Ted Peters, the Lutheran theologian at Pacific Lutheran Seminary, in his, both in his systematic theology text uh, titled significantly, God, the World's Future, and in his more recent book, Anticipating Omega, has developed in detail a theological concept of prolepsis, and he defines this as the invasion of the present by, what is, by the power of what is yet to come. So that we have to think not simply of futurum, that is the future as it unfolds from the past, as we usually think of it in science, or even as adventus, the future as it brings something that is genuinely new, but the future as venturus, literally what is coming, the future as it has an impact on us before its full advent. The belief that Jesus Christ crucified and risen gives us, in the fullest sense, the future of creation is of profound significance here. The statement, Jesus is risen, is good news because it means that the future will be characterized by the kind of life that we see in Jesus. In contrast, back in the late first century, there were, there were rumors that the emperor Nero had risen from the dead and was planning to invade the empire to retake his throne. There may be hints of that in the book of, of Revelation. Well, the statement, Nero is risen, would not be good news because it would mean that the future would be Nero-like. 
Now, while the concept of prolepsis is centered on the resurrection of Christ, its significance is not limited to that. And in the book that I mentioned, Ted Peters sets out a number of theses about the significance of prolepsis. And the first of those is, God creates from the future, not the past. That is, first of all, a healthy corrective to things like young earth creationism, which suggests that creation is, in fact, limited to what happened in the past. Now, this does not mean that the Genesis creation accounts are to be ignored, but it means that we are to read them eschatologically. As, in fact, in the first creation account, we already see with the Sabbath, which the Christian and Jewish traditions have always understood as a kind of pointing toward uh, the kingdom of God. Now, the possibility that the future might exist a genuine causal influence on the past, of course, makes aficionados of science fiction, like myself, think immediately of H.G. Wells' Time Machine or the Back to the Future films or many other uh, movies and novels with that theme. But a scientist, who of course may also be a science fiction aficionado, may also begin to wonder if this theological concept of prolepsis might have any connection with the serious, though speculative, work in physics that has been done on the possibility of sending signals back in time or the possibility of time travel. And here I want to talk about some of that work and then talk about some of the possible theological connections of it. Physicists have given attention to several possibilities for retrocausality for the future influencing the past. And there are some popular books, and I've listed some of those in a footnote. And by the way, I have a few copies of this if uh, anybody is interested. Uh, and not without trying to be exhaustive, let me just list a few of these possibilities, and then I'll speak about them in more detail. Uh, there is the possibility of tachyons. There are the so-called time machine solutions of Einstein's gravitational field equations. There are uh, the possibility of waves in dark energy. There are the advanced potentials in electromagnetic theory. And then there's a particular interpretation of quantum mechanics that makes use of some of these ideas. So uh, in order to first of all speak about tachyons, one consequence of the special theory of relativity, uh, where's the on-off, here we go. Uh, oh, there, I'm supposed to do, okay. Uh, one of the immediate consequences of special relativity is that a particle could travel back in time if it could travel faster than light. Uh, on the standard space-time diagram, space along the horizontal axis, C, speed of light times time on the vertical axis, uh, a light ray originating from this event uh, has a slope of 1. In general, any kind of particle is going to trace out a world line in space-time. Its speed is inversely proportional to, the sl to its slope on this diagram. So a particle moving in a normal way has a slope greater than 1, and it's always going to move forward in time. If, and that's the case with the particle at this point, if, on the other hand, it could get a slope less than one, that is a speed greater than the speed of light, its world line would be able to turn around and it would move back in time. So you have that possibility of tachyons. Uh, up until about the 1960s, 
it was generally thought that because of the way velocities are, are added in special relativity that you could never get anything traveling faster than light. It was realized in the 60s by several people that while a particle that's once moving slower than light could never get going faster, it's possible for there to be exist entities which would always move faster than light, the so-called tachyons from the Greek tachos, from swift. Uh, so there is this theoretical possibility uh, of particles that could move faster than light and therefore could exercise some retrocausal effects. Secondly, though, there are the so-called time machine solutions of Einstein's equations. The first of these that got any serious attention was the uh, cosmological model that was discovered by Kurt Gödel back in 1949. Uh, it it uh, represents a universe which rotates but has no expansion, so it's not like our universe. It's not a realistic model. But the uh, interesting characteristic of it is that it has closed time-like world lines. So it would be possible for certain particles to be steered in such a way that they could get into their own past. Or, to put it more anthro uh, anthropomorphically, it would be possible for some people to steer their rockets in such a way that they could get into their own past. Uh, more recently, and possibly more realistically, attention has focused on the possibilities that are given by black holes and also by, by the idea of cosmic strings. Uh, it's possible that in, in some cases for a wormhole that's associated with a black hole, for something that goes through that wormhole to, in a sense, get into its own past. But these, uh, while these investigations have a great deal of theoretical interest, the chances of any observational confirmation of them, let alone any technological application, is very slight. For one thing, in order to hold these uh, wormholes uh, open long enough, you have to make use of exotic matter, the type of thing that we have in, in dark energy, uh, in order to hold them open long enough. Uh, so that's probably not very realistic. However, the possibility of, uh, and the, what we now know, think is the reality of dark energy suggests another possibility. Now, this dark energy is whatever it is that is making the expansion of the universe accelerate. And uh, if you don't like math, you don't need to worry about it and uh, just listen to the conclusions. The simplest model of dark energy is provided by Einstein, the, the cosmological term that Einstein added to his field equations. And uh, this represents, uh, the cosmological term is effectively like a material whose, which has a negative pressure that is equal in magnitude to its energy density. Now, if you make use of the uh, formula for the speed of sound in a material, hydrodynamic waves, uh, in relativity, uh, if P is minus E, that means that the speed of these waves would actually be an imaginary number. What that means is that the equation that describes disturbances in these materials is no longer a wave equation. It's an equation that would describe uh, disturbances that would propagate instantaneously throughout space-time. So it's kind of like a, a relativistic generalization of Pascal's law of hydrostatics in, in elementary physics. Uh, well, that's just a very, a very crude approximation for dark energy. Uh, another possibility, and this is a paper I wrote a few years ago, 
uh, a, a number equation of state that could represent dark energy. This is an equation that behaves like radiation for very high energy densities and behaves like the cosmological term for low energy densities. So at, at least roughly it kind of models our universe. The interesting feature of the, this, however, is that if you calculate the velocity of sound using that formula, you find that after a certain epoch, when the energy density has dropped low enough, the speed of sound waves becomes greater than the speed of light. So again, you have the possibility of uh, transmission of signals that would, would be transmitted back in time. Well, those are, are perhaps fairly exotic possibilities. Another thing, though, that doesn't really require any extreme uh, notions like black holes or dark energy has, in fact, been known for a long time, well over a century, and that is the, uh, the so-called advanced potentials in classical electromagnetic theory. And again, I need to uh, make use of a few equations. first equation, if you've uh, taken elementary physics, you will know is simply the potential, the, the electrostatic potential for a charge, uh, the charge divided by the distance from the observer to the charge. Uh, just a simple inverse proportion. It's what gives Coulomb's law an inverse square law for the force. Uh, now, that's, that's the potential for an, a single charge. You don't need to say anything about time because nothing's changing with time, so you don't need to specify the time. However, if you've got a situation in which you have electrical charges and currents that are changing with time, then you're going to have something different. And you can think, for example, of the currents oscillating in the antenna of a radio transmitter. And an observer off at some great distance who's picking up the signals from this antenna. And the, the current is oscillating in the antenna in a particular way, and you're off observing it and picking up a signal that's, of course, going to oscillate as well. And the interesting thing is that the potential in this case uh, that now does depend upon the time. And it depends on what the source is doing, symbolically Q, not at time t, but at time, notice the plus or minus sign, the distance divided by the speed of light, all again divided by the distance. There are actually two solutions, the plus sign and the minus sign. Now, the minus sign gives the kind of intuitively clear uh, retarded potentials, as they are called. Uh, why do I say it's intuitively clear? Well, it says that the potential at time t depends on what the source is doing, not at time t, but at time t minus the time that it takes for light to travel from the, the uh, antenna to the source. Okay, So it's retarded by that amount. So that's the, the, the intuitive solution. The, there is, however, the second solution. You've got both of these. The advanced potentials would be, de the, the potential would be determined not by what the source was doing a certain time in the past, but by, by what it is doing at a corresponding time in the future. In other words, the signals you'd be picking up would be coming to you from the future. And to just take an uh, illustration of that, suppose we've got a spacecraft off uh, it's, uh, orbiting Neptune, and I chose that just because the numbers work out conveniently. Uh, it's about four light hours away, and this spacecraft is taking pictures of Neptune and transmitting them to us. Suppose it transmits its signals at 5 p.m., well, you're going to pick them up, the retarded signals we would receive at 9 p.m. 
Okay, that's what you'd expect. However, there are also the advanced signals, which would be received four hours earlier. So here you would be seeing these four hours before, uh, previous. You would be seeing what happened four hours previously. Now, the usual thing that physicists do is just say, well, there isn't any such thing. The future can't influence the past, and so therefore we're going to throw away the advanced potentials. And that's, that's usually what's done in just in electromagnetic theory courses. Uh, now, these advanced waves have never been detected, and so you can do that, but the only way of ruling them out is just by saying we're not going to consider them. Okay? And it would be possible to take them into account. And theori some theorists, in fact, have made use of the advanced potentials as well as the retarded ones in order to solve certain problems, particularly in classical electromagnetic theory. Uh, Wheeler and Feynman, back in the 1940s, developed a theory of this sort where they made use of both of these potentials. And they showed that there would not be any violations of conventional ideas of causality as long as all the radiation that is emitted is eventually absorbed somewhere in the universe. In that case, you could always arrange it so you'd never see any, any, very, any violations of conventional causality. Now, whether or not all radiation actually is absorbed in our universe depends on what the universe is, how it's expanding, what it's made of. And since we don't really understand what 95% of the universe is made of, namely dark matter and dark energy, it's really a question we can't answer at this point. So there is that possibility of, of transmission of signals by, by advanced potentials. And finally, I will just mention briefly, there is an interpretation of quantum mechanics, the so-called transactional interpretation of quantum mechanics, in which particles interact by an exchange of both advanced and retarded waves, but in this case, not electromagnetic waves, but of the psi waves of quantum mechanics. Uh, however, since this is simply a different interpretation of conventional quantum mechanics rather than an actual new theory of quantum mechanics, it, it apparently does not make any distinctively new predictions. And therefore, as far as, as any actual interest in time travel or something, it probably does not come in. Well, uh, in the recent book that I mentioned, Anticipating Omega, Ted Peters explores a number of implications of his theses on prolepsis, and I would encourage you to read this book. I think it's very provocative and has a lot of interesting possibilities. Uh, but he does not consider there the possibility that these ideas might be connected with the kind of scientific prospects that I've discussed. And so I want to talk about three such possibilities, in particular, uh, in, three, in theolo three theological areas, namely resurrection, prophecy, and creation. As I said before, the resurrection of Jesus provides the impetus for a proleptic theology. And I think we can begin there with a modest suggestion if we recall what Paul does in his discussion of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians. Paul there in chapter 15, of course, does not base his belief in the resurrection uh, on scientific arguments. But he does present analogies, important word here. He presents analogies from the kind of knowledge of the world that was prevalent in his culture in order to respond to questions about the resurrection and to try to help uh, Christians to have some understanding of it. Uh, he's, you know, there are different kinds of bodies in the world. There are different kinds of flesh of different kinds of creatures. And perhaps the best analogy that Paul gives is his first one. 
The plant that grows from a seed is not the same as the seed itself. It's continued. There's a continuity, but it is not the same. Okay, it is sown a perishable body, it is raised imperishable, and so forth. Now, well, of course, when Paul said that, he did not mean that corpses will sprout into living bodies. Again, he's talking about an analogy between the way things are now and eschatological reality. And interestingly, in the next generation, uh, St. Clement of Rome added to Paul's analogies uh, the story of the phoenix, I mean, the bird that is immolated on the altar and then rises again from its ashes. And we think of that simply as a myth. People in, in Greco-Roman culture of the first century thought of that as, as real natural history. Uh, so I think we could do that today. We could say that the possibilities for time travel that we've discussed uh, could provide analogies for some understanding of the resurrection. Uh, that just as somebody with a time machine might come back from the future to give us information about what will happen, Christ comes from God's final future with the reality of the kingdom of God. Now, the question occurs, could that be more than a mere analogy? Could, did God use some of these possibilities that I've talked about in raising Jesus from the dead? And if so, that would be another example of the way God usually acts in the world through natural processes, if those processes are indeed natural. Uh, now, I realize a lot of Christians are going to be uneasy about that, because they want to say, if anything, the resurrection is a real miracle. Well, I'm not saying it isn't, but that does not mean that God could not have made use of some natural processes in doing it. I think it's worth noting that there are different senses in which time travel might be said to be possible. It appears that in general relativity, it is a theoretical possibility in some cases. However, as, as a practical possibility, it does not seem to exist. That is, the possibility that any advanced technological civilization could construct a wormhole and actually send somebody back into the future, uh, especially into the distant, or into the past rather, into the distant past, does not really exist. Because uh, you can't go any farther back than the epoch at which the wormhole is created. So sending somebody back to the first century is quite a different matter. So if God did use some of these natural possibilities for time travel, we would still have to see it as a unique type of divine action. Uh, I have to be rather quick. I mentioned the uh, possibility that some predictive prophecy uh, might conceivably be connected with transmission of signals from the future to the past. I think that's true and, and uh, fairly clear how that might be. Finally, I just want to mention uh, a model of the universe, or multiverse, I should say, and Robert Mann will be saying more about multiverses uh, in a couple of days. Uh, model of the multiverse that was proposed by uh, Lee and God about 10 years ago, uh, and that is a, it's a model in quantum cosmology in which is formed by this small tube of a, clo a closed tube which then expands into our present universe with other universes branching off from it. And uh, as you will see, this looks as if it were, to our, from our standpoint, the, the creation of the universe. However, there is no unique time at which the universe actually can be said to come into being. And so one might think of this 
uh, as a possibility for uh, at least some way in which the, future, the relationship between the future and the past could be made use of by God in creating the universe out of nothing, but nevertheless through natural processes. With that, I will need to stop, and if we've got a minute, I'll take questions. Uh, how many? Oh I, oh, I have that much time. I'm sorry. I thought, I thought you... Oh, okay, fine. Okay. Yes, back here. I was going to go on and on. Well, nobody know. I mean, nobody has ever actually observed anything we could definitively say is due to the advanced potentials. I mean, it, if if those are realities, okay, if there really are, if those solutions of Maxwell's equations uh, really have counterparts in the real world, then yes, just in the same way that we manipulate the signals we send out from a radio transmitter by oscillating the currents in the right way, you'd be manipulating what's being sent into the past. But whether anything is being sent into the past is, of course, the question. <laughs> yes? Uh, I, I really appreciate you bringing up John Kramer's uh, transactional interpretation, which seems to be, be badly neglected. Uh, I, I, I uh, wrote uh, John Kramer a letter a few years ago asking him uh, who, who he thought had done the best follow-up work on, on his uh, interpretation. Uh, unfortunately, I guess he's old enough that for other reasons, he didn't ever answer my letter. So I will ask you, who has written the best follow-up on John Kramer's transactional interpretation? I, you know, I, I, for right now, I knew you were going to ask that, and my mind is blanking on the name. I, there's somebody who has written on that, but I, I, the name just isn't coming to my mind right now. Yes? Um, in your abstract, you mentioned Bob Russell's idea. Yeah, I didn't really have time to get into that. Right. How do we deal with the fact that it could be something different, this new law in place that we're trying to study in our current creation as opposed to a new law coming from the new creation? Oh, well, I'm not, I'm not sure what the question is. It, so in terms of it, if it is a new law that is the first instance of a new law of Christ's resurrection, right. how do we study that in our current, in the current creation if it's something that's not? Okay. Yeah. The, the he makes use of, it makes reference to a statement that I made in the uh, abstract, referring to uh, Bob Russell's suggestion that the resurrection of Christ is the, as he puts it, the first instantiation of a new law of nature. And okay, how, if that's the case, how do we study it? Uh, I, you know, that's rather difficult to ask how we might study it physically because we have only one instance of it so far. It's kind of like the, the one instance, well, not kind of, this may seem a little bit irreverent, but it's kind of like the one claim for a magnetic monopole that exists. <laughs> you know, you can't do much too much with one data point. But of course, I mean, the, then one connects that with the, the suggestion at, you know, of St. Paul that that's the free, Christ is the first fruits of them that sleep. Yeah. Yes? Discovered that there is another line of research that 
has developed uh, quite substantially called decoherence. Oh, sure, yeah. There right. two schools, somewhat different schools of thought on it. One, and, and really the two are generally pretty friendly to each other, but there are, is a difference between uh, what Wojciech Zurich said right. and what uh, Dieter Zay said. Right. Yeah, they, they, on the transactional analysis, I'm not going to try to repeat the whole comment there, if you, if you don't mind. Well, okay. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck with that. I, I mean, whether, whether or not, I mean, that, as I said, that's a different interpretation of quantum mechanics rather than a new theory. So whether it actually makes any new predictions is another matter. Thank you. Thank you.